Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 12 of Carlos Rios is All Ears. Today, you're listening to a conversation with Dr. Andrew Sigler. Dr. Sigler is currently Assistant Professor of Music Composition at the University of Tennessee School of Music. He has written concert music for orchestra, chamber, dance, and theater, as well as commercial music for advertising, video games, and animation. I met Dr. Sigler in the early 20-teens when I was studying music composition at the University of Texas at Austin. Yeah, he's just a remarkably kind person with a down-to-earth personality, a joy to talk to. Uh, I very much hope that you will enjoy this conversation. Now, is it Dr. Sigler or Andrew Sigler? Is, uh, I mean, I, or I, Mr. Sigler? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I did my doctorate at uh, UT Austin. That's right. So that's what you were doing when you were you were TA for a bit, mm-hmm. and and uh, that's how I met you. That's when I met you back in two thousand and. 10, 11, 12. Yeah, like That's that. around where we met. Yeah, I was in I was in Austin for 14 years from oh. 2000 until 2014, but I was at uh, UT Austin from 2010 to 2014 and graduated in May of 14. Yeah. So you were at UT at the school from 2010 to 2014? So Yeah, that was the period okay. I did my doctorate there and that was during that period. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. But you were in Austin prior to that. I was. So, I was wearing shorts and a t-shirt for a long time, and then I cleaned <laughs> up my act. And... <laughs> <laughs> um, so what were you doing before that? Oh, boy. Um, in Austin, uh, oh. so I taught guitar for okay, cool. two years. Um, and so that I kind of dovetailed or wrapped up maybe about halfway through my time at UT. Um, okay. So, was it classical guitar in specific, or just guitar in general? It was a wide range. It was kind of everything. Because you um, had your master's in classical guitar, right? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so I did have some classical guitar students, and I taught through an outfit that did, uh, you know, sort of, um, kind of like classical guitar for little kids, sort of. Um, uh-huh. I did that for quite some time in Austin. Yeah. But I mean, my bread and butter was teaching, you know, like rock tunes to 13 year olds. And nice. that was a, a nice. huge part of it. So that was, yeah. that was definitely my ear training, uh, uh, you know, where I cut my teeth. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I did that. Um, I had, a, let's see, maybe four or five years where I was doing commercial music in Austin. Nice. Uh, primarily for uh, t- two main clients, one in Austin and one in Seattle. So okay. I did a lot of, you know, I mean, I love doing it, but it wasn't necessarily the most exciting music uh, or, uh, you know, stuff to show yeah. off. Uh, I'm yes. very proud of all the stuff I did, but sure. uh, I did a lot of corporate and conference videos. Mm-hmm. So if there was a new piece of software that or hardware rather that was going to be the new something phone or whatever, um, you know, and the person walks out on stage and says, this phone will change your life. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. music when they walk out, uh, um, sometimes promotional videos um, I did. A few small, uh, um, like app store type games back in the day, yes, um, yes. and a few other things like that. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, when I first got to Austin in 2000, for about a year, year and a half, I was a singer songwriter. Mm. Um, 
went by Sig Andrews. Austin's a good place to be there. Oh, Sig Andrews. Ah, I like Sig that. Andrews, that's right. Nice. Yes, it's nice now to sort of like bring that back. That sounds super Austin-ish, too. That, yeah. yeah, Sig Andrews, Yeah, man. not lost on me. You know, for some reason, I didn't think Andy Sigler was good enough. So, But Sig Andrews sounds like yeah, somebody you'd go see. Uh, what was that barbecue place downtown where Steve Ray Vaughn and all the old school guys used to play? Um, oh, geez, I'm not sure. I can't remember. <laughs> oh, it's killing me. I should know this. I, I was It'll a concierge be. for like five years in Austin, oh. and I can't remember any of the restaurants now. It'll 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 come back in ten minutes. Well, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. So before I get carried on, uh, carried away. I'm trying to practice my idioms. I don't know if you know, but my first language is Spanish. Mm -hmm. And so I can speak English really well, but whenever it comes to like idiomatic expressions, I always get them wrong. <laughs> okay. And I always just butcher them. People are like, uh, you mean this? And I was like, yes, I mean that. Sure. Um, so before I get carried away, as mm -hmm. I just did again, um, <laughs> tell me. <laughs> so who is Andrew Ziegler? Um, uh, what motivates you? What are things you do for fun? What's valuable to you? You know, all those questions kind of go together in one. Boy. All right. Yeah. Settle in. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Take... Uh, yeah. I'm Andy Sigler. Um, I teach um, an assistant professor of music composition at the University of Tennessee. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, a lot of fun saying I went from one UT to the next. Yes. Uh, yes. One, one orange to another. Um, they have lived... to be the same color. Well, no, it's not the same color, right? It's in the, they're both orange. They're different oranges. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, um, there's, so, there's definitely no doubt about that. There's, of course, the Texas burnt orange, burnt and orange. The, yeah, uh, the power tea of, of uh, UT Knoxville. That orange is uh, kind of a brighter, uh, a brighter color, mm -hmm. but happily, happily worn by yours truly. Uh, both shades. <laughs> nice. Nice. So I've been in probably not at the same time. <laughs> look well, good. now that Texas is going to the SEC, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, <laughs> I've been able to pretty safely drive around Knoxville with a with a UT Longhorn, you know, insignia on the back of my car, and I'm 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 curious how, if that will uh, <laughs> if that's going to continue to fly. But yeah, we'll see how it goes. Um, I moved to Knoxville in the summer of 2014 uh, to mm. teach here. So I was a lecturer for three years, and then uh, got uh, there was a tenure track. Um, opening hmm. uh, in the same job. So I, I got that job. And so I've been working here ever since. Mm. Uh, yeah. It's a really wonderful place to work. Um, and Knoxville is a great town. I'm, I hadn't knew nothing about Knoxville and I moved here. We, you know, I came and checked it out and, you know, whatever you can figure out about a town in the course of a, you know, a day or so, especially in context <laughs> of interviews and all that other stuff. But, um, you know, it seemed pretty solid and it, I think it definitely punches above its weight. Um, nice. I've never somewhere that has four seasons. So mm -hmm. it's nice to have, you know, like the leaves change color. Wow. And yes. Sometimes yeah. we have snow. Wow. My wife and I are, are currently Katie, Katie, Katie Sharpson. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, Katie uh, and I, we live in Wisconsin. Oh, okay. We've been here for a year and we're going back to Texas in April of next year. To warm up <laughs> yes oh yes man i'm freezing right now and, I bet. Uh, um anyway it snowed yesterday a bunch it was just out of the blue it was 40 the day before and then i get up in the morning and it's just like covered in snow it was insane sure. but yeah the seasons has been a cool a cool thing yeah it is nice you know and then there's also the way that impacts how you kind of go through the year 
um, which is to say like spring, I, you know, it's, it's just kind of a different thing. And I'm actually interested in doing, I don't do a lot of it, but a little bit of gardening and stuff like that. And Mm. then summer comes up and there's kind of different things to do. Um, It is for me, a much more comfortable place to be outside for much longer periods of time than Austin was, or uh, I grew up in Southwest Louisiana, Lake Charles, uh, Louisiana, which is great, but it's very muggy and, and often quite hot, you know, for big chunks of the year. So, uh, you know, it's not, at least for me, as much fun to, to go outside, um, at least on a percentage basis, as much as it is here in Knoxville. I mean, there. So uh, Knoxville also just has, it's an urban uh, wilderness. So they're in town and through town. There are all these trails. I mean, I can leave like this morning. I went, you know, drove 10 minutes and I was, you know, in what's called Imes Nature Center. Yeah. There are tons of trails and woods and all kinds of stuff. And yeah. the Smoky Mountains are only 45 minutes away. So it's That's it's nice. lovely. It's a lovely awesome. spot of the country to to be in. Yeah. Is um, that something you like to do for fun? Going hiking? I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I did that when I lived in Austin. Um, I lived in the South Austin. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and I lived close to the Greenbelt, that Zilker <laughs> Greenbelt. And that was about 10 minutes from my front door. <laughs> so I could go nice. down the Greenbelt and hike, which was yeah. great. And also had a level of seasonality, but it was mostly like, it was really nice for two or three months. And then it was like dry and you know, uh, at least you were out of the direct sun. Yeah. Uh, but I did enjoy that. I remember one time, at least one time hiking all the way to Zilker, which I think was about seven miles. Um, so that yeah. was fun. Um, and of course, you know, I mean, we don't need to spend time talking about all the wonderful things in Austin because there are people who that's, I think, fairly well known. So yeah. I feel finally back on my time at Austin and, you that's know, right. I, I I still have not found a, a movie experience that I like as much as the Alamo Draft House. Uh, my oh, sister. Oh man, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, sure. Well, sister, I heard a, a few years back the the one on Sixth Street closed down. Yeah, it was a tragedy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think that was a COVID. There may that may have been uh, the writing on the wall already. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Alamo's been around for some time, and there's been all kind of changes and ups and downs. But fortunately, it's mm-hmm. still happening. Um, yeah, my sister lives in Houston, mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't make a uh, play to go to the Alamo every time, <laughs> but mm-hmm. like, can we go see a movie please? So I can sit and, you know, enjoy that Alamo experience and, yeah. you know, Barton Springs and just all the, you know, wonderful things that are there. Yeah. But, but Knoxville has been great. Um, let's see, I have a nine-year-old daughter. Um, she'll be 10 mm-hmm. in May. Uh, so you asked about motivations. Uh, certainly <laughs> that's a big one. <laughs> so she's third grade, fourth grade, then? fourth grade. Nice. Fourth grade uh, does gymnastics and sings in the choir. And, uh, you know, so far, Knockwood does great in school and is, you know, happy and having a good old time. So, uh, you know, spending time with her. Um, Do you remember, did you ever participate in Unsilent Night uh, in Austin? I I know what it is. I never participated in in it. So just for those listening who may not know, briefly, Unsilent Night is a composition written by Phil Klein uh, in the early nineties in New York. And basically it's four tracks uh, that they last about 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, uh, this is not the best description, but sort of tingly uh, atmospheric music. Mm-hmm. Um, and these four different tracks are then were initially just distri- put on cassette and distributed among people with boom boxes. Mm-hmm. And you'd have, like, you know, set dozens of people walking through the streets of New York with these boom boxes playing this sort of, you know, atmospheric music. 
um, and just quietly walking through otherwise, not talking or mm-hmm. conversing. So, you know, you're sitting at a cafe and you look up and there's this, you know, slow moving, you know, group <laughs> of people coming by with all this music. And it's, uh, it does have a, a very seasonal magical element to it. Yeah. And so I'm bringing my daughter to now if the rain holds up, it, we may get rained out, but, uh, tonight will be the first unsilent night with, with my little one. So I'm That's looking so fun. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's been a great thing again about being in Knoxville, kind of tying it in with what I was talking about before is being in a place where we can really go out. We can do a lot of stuff outside, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, she certainly spends time on her, you know, tablet <laughs> watching shows and doing that. And that's fine. That's just part of the fabric of our world, I think. Mm-hmm. But she is equally, if not more, uh, you know, interested in, you know, getting out and doing the things that are available yeah. outside. She's young. There's still, there's yep. so much that, that is, it's yet to unfold before her so that she can start, you know, making life choices and things like that. So. Yeah, one step at a time, man. All right. Yeah. <laughs> but yes. Yeah, they're definitely yeah. down the road. Nine to ten years yeah. old. Yeah. I remember it show, is she ten now or she's no, nine and a half. I remember turning ten and it was a big deal for me. Mm-hmm. Um uh because I was two digits. And Double. I was like I remember coming to the realization then. I've always been a bit of like a little philosopher. So as a little kid, it was just it was this depth this like existential weight that it had on me. And I told my mom, mom, most of my life, I'm going to be a two digit human. (laughs) And, and this is it. Like I'm about to be. And so I, and I thought like, you know, I have all these shirts with cartoons and drawings. Like I don't want any of those anymore. I need like more serious things and all of that. And now all I wear is things with cartoons and things in them. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I got my Obi-Wan. Yeah, uh, shirt today on um, a little bit of cultural appropriation of the Jedi culture sure. by my people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah, it was a what do you call it? It was a big moment, nine to ten. But yeah, yeah. So that's one of your sources of motivation. Absolutely, sure. Uh, being a dad, I'd say also. I mean, you know, my students. Um, mm. I, you know, I'm really lucky to have a thriving studio um, and a really, I mean, this term is, is used quite a bit uh, diverse, but a very diverse studio. Um, yeah. We uh, had our last studio meeting of the semester um, earlier this week. And excuse me, afterwards, I was talking to um, some colleagues in the hallway, one of whom um just didn't really sort of ask, hey, I, you know, one of your students came and played for my class. He teaches a history of rock class, big survey class. Like, yeah, yeah. People. Good old um, history of rock. Yeah. Yeah. And he had my student come and play. My student was playing a piece for piano and cello, which is not a rock piece at all. It's more, you know, sort of, uh, hmm. let's say, 19th century inspired. Yeah. Um, and they talked about, uh, my student was talking about having written the piece and the process of putting it together and stuff like that. Anyway, so this colleague of mine was then talking to me in the hallway a couple of days later about like the nature of my studio, you know, and like, what do you teach? You know, <laughs> what do you teach? Do you teach composition? <laughs> we <all> do, yeah. <laughs> um, Switchcraft. And, yeah. You know, and I said, well, you know, I, I've got, I'll give you an example. Earlier today we had, I teach film scoring and we had the film scoring final projects that were shown. And one of my nice. students did this very sort of abstracted 
uh, slightly creepy esoteric film mm-hmm. and this particular student works a lot with noise and you know mm-hmm. very abstractive you know uh, uh, sound worlds yeah and um, I've always enjoyed their 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 uh, their music uh, just on its own or when it's been presented in different ways but this particular student has done a couple of uh, one long form film project. Um, called The Sound of Silence, where in this case, silence was S-I-L-E-N-T-S. And it was it was a, mm. a about a 45-minute film. This was several years ago, mm. uh, based on the transition between photography and the very beginnings of silent films. Mm. So The Sound of Silence. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was called Silence in Motion. That's what it was, not Sounds of Silence. Oh, I, I've seen this, yeah. Yeah, so so my student did the music for that, mm-hmm. and that music was a little more. I mean, again, this student does what they do. They're not writing because yeah. they're asked for a certain style necessarily for this film. But at any rate, uh, that particular score was, shall we say, somewhat more conventional. But the thing they did the other day for the film class was really gnarly. <laughs> you know, just mm-hmm. you know, there's a scene where if this kind of cartoon. There's a scene where this um, elevator shoots up through this sort of you know uh kind of a surrealist not outer space kind of thing matrixy kind of vibe let's put it that way okay and the way that my student represented it was uh he screamed into a microphone right and then did some processing on it so you can tell it's a screen but it's very abstracted and it was like brilliant like and the idea that every time this elevator moves through this kind of creepy surrealistic space it has to like scream to get through the thing. And, you know, if you're writing it, you're in the middle of this very, you know, aggressive environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was just this really amazing way of taking this very abstracted uh, sound world, yeah. and having it represent something that is much more tangible. It was just really interesting. Yeah. Like the, the whole, this film was maybe, was, you know, short film, 10, 12 minutes. Yeah. The beginning the student started with a sine wave at a given frequency and then it sort of you know uh changes and sort of then you go through the whole film and you get you get to the end and a character at the end of the thing dies and you hear another sine wave as you might hear when someone flatlines yeah, just and not like, only is that sine wave again but he pointed out they they pointed out that it was a tritone off from the initial sine wave so that's the kind of nerdy stuff where everybody goes like oh dude that's really old but it's yeah. also uh, you know it just works as a yeah. as a you know, it's a, so a interesting because structurally, the way you're describing it, you can you can think of it as a composition, but the elements on their own, it seemed more like sound design elements. Of, right, right. There was some. Yeah. There was an, uh, an element of that, but there's already sound design in this film, so I there's see. already all the foley and sound design that goes with it. So it really did operate as the score. Yeah. Um, uh, and, Very and interesting. Were, I've had students do foley and sound design within some of these projects over the years. Yeah. This definitely was you know, was its own kind of world. Anyway, so the point is I'm talking to my friend about about this, right? And so I've got a student who does this. Then I've got this other student who happens to be the person who played in your class who just did a concert of nine preludes he wrote uh, based on the muses that are, I mean, if you were driving down the road listening to KUT, you know, the classical, uh, um, you know, hour or whatever with uh, our dear departed John Ailey uh, might Mm -hmm. play this. You'd hear, uh, you'd think, oh, this must be some Brahms piece I haven't heard, or Rachmaninoff, or yeah. Chopin. I mean, the kid is writing unbelievable music, very stylized, stylistically in the formantic. 
Yeah. So, you know, in a given day, <laughs> uh, so the guy says, well, what's your studio like? Like, I don't know. <laughs> you know, some, you know, I'll have somebody come in and I'm listening to like 20 minutes yeah. of like, you know, white noise screaming and yeah. morphing. And like, I got to see if I can help that person shape this through time. Yeah. And that person leaves, another person comes in and we're talking about, you know, uh, you know, uh, chromatic modulations and, yeah. uh, you know, and then other, uh, you know, and, and formal elements that are much the same, much more traditional and yeah. things that are in all different directions. Yeah. Um, it's very much, I, I really think of myself more as an editor than a teacher, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like I've, you know, I have a f- fresh set of ears. <laughs> like I haven't heard this stuff a thousand times this week. <laughs> They're going to come in. I have, they have no objective. I've been listening to this tune a hundred times. I've played it a hundred times. Um, I no, also, is this a combination of students that are doing their undergrad and their masters and their doctorates as well? This happens to be the two, uh, the two examples happen to be undergrads. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Knoxville, UT Knoxville has undergrad and master's programs. There mm-hmm. is not a doctoral program in the school of music. Um, that may change uh, in some of our disciplines. We are actually starting in the fall of 2023. We are going to be um, transitioning to a college of music, which is, um, you know, it, it first blush sounds like just a different name, <laughs> but it's yeah. fundamentally different. Uh, so mm-hmm. we'll, we're currently under the College of Arts and Sciences. Gotcha. And so the School of Music and the School of Architecture and the School of, I don't know, Biology, all these, you know, many of these schools feed into the College of Arts and Sciences. Yeah. Uh, now we will be our own college or their own dean and our own, you know, probably some new faculty lines and all kinds of stuff. So it's restructuring of, of uh, what's it called? Scholarships and all kinds of money yeah. and all kinds of things. Every, yeah, everything. <laughs> we have a, in the fall of 2019. Did your own dean? Yeah, we'll have our own dean. Instead yeah. of having we have a school of music, currently we have a director of the school of music mm-hmm. and two associate directors that are, mm-hmm the director of undergraduate and graduate studies respectively. And yeah. those will effectively change to a dean and to associate dean positions. Yeah. Um, among other things, I think there may be actually more associate deans than than just two. We just we literally we had our our final faculty meeting of the year two days ago. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like looked at all this new potential org structure and talked about how it's all going to go. So it's all super new and not formed yet. You know, we're going to be figuring it out. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, so w- it's possible as part of this or over the next few years that, uh, you know, some uh, uh, DMA or PhD programs might materialize. Um, Is that but, something that you would invite? I'm not I'm not necessarily in composition. I think there are plenty mm-hmm. of programs out there. Um, and I, I so I don't I'm not really championed to do it. I possibly would be interested in some kind of a DMA that basically isn't out there yet, you know, something that is more about, I don't know, career based or something like that. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not sure how to put it, you know, I don't want us to say entrepreneurial, you know, uh, simply entrepreneurial. Do you based. find that I did when I was in school and I only did my undergrad, uh, do mm-hmm. you find that there's a bit of a, a gap between the really teaching that entrepreneurial aspect um that a uh, career aspect that is outside of academia to students like that you do you feel like currently in the environment of of uh, just higher education in general when you're teaching something technical like music composition or or performance on a 
clarinet or whatever do you feel like maybe there's a gap in in the teaching students or maybe even the capacity of the professors and the staff to teach this stuff like they might they might not be trained to do this uh, to teach entrepreneurship or or, oh, or sure. maybe collaborations between the i don't know i know there was a program at ut austin that helped you get like a minor in and then which I, I i wish i did at this point Um, <laughs> but, I think uh, that a lot of schools have made or have been and are continuing to make lots of changes mm -hmm. uh, to try to address these sort of things. Uh, yeah. Some are more successful than others. Yeah. Um, developed some a uh, few programs uh, that are really brand new, at least here, mm -hmm. uh, which are you know um, music, not music business degrees. We already have you know uh, right. programs that serve that, but a degree that is basically half business and half music. Um, I find sometimes that uh, I think there can be a benefit to just studying business without only thinking about how it works in the world of music that yeah. actually can be useful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I finished my undergrad and my pardon me, my master's in 1998 classical guitar and I was never going to go back to school. I had no interest in academia ever again, you know, yeah. see you later. Um, and uh, you know, and then over the years I, here you are. <laughs> trying to get tenure <laughs> uh, but that was 12 years later yeah you know? and so in the ensuing 12 years i mean obviously i was not doing academic work i wasn't i wrote a little bit of concert music uh you know as time went on but but i wasn't thinking i was going to really do anything with it or that it was mm -hmm. going to be I, maybe more than a hobby or something like that yeah um and then i've you know i just found the bug coming back and here we are um yeah. but uh, i you know if students ask me Uh, whether on my campus or if I go, you know, lecture somewhere about, you know, career advice and stuff like that. One of the mm -hmm. big things is, uh, you know, consider taking some time between degrees. Yeah. Um, consider there are a lot of very, you know, talented people who've gone through all their degrees in a single institution, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. and the con of that is that you aren't putting yourself in a position to learn how basic functions say in a school of music work just in different places yeah. you know so institution one you have to go to this person to have this thing done and this thing works this way and then you go to institution two and it's a little bit different You're like oh huh i never thought about doing it that way mm -hmm. and if you're in institution one for like 12 years or whatever it is you know, through all these degrees yeah uh, and then you get out you tend to be pretty calcified i think uh and, you know unless you are making a real point of you know not having your your um, uh, impressions of how things work be defined by your environment. And that's yeah. tough. <laughs> that is really tough. tough. Yeah, because you're in your environment, right? <laughs> and yeah. This is where you you are. Fish and water and what's water, right? So, so I, yeah. I, I want to... Oh, sure, sure. I want to ask a question about that. Um, actually, because... So yesterday I had a conversation with my brother. My brother is currently pursuing his master's in trumpet performance. And he is in... Um, I forget the name of the school and he's going to hate me for this because I ask him all the time. <laughs> But he's in New Orleans. Um, uh, Loyola? No. Tulane? No. Okay. Um, you wanna? I'm sorry, not New Orleans. He's on... Um, I can't think right now. I'm sorry. That's okay. I told you I, told you I, ha I had the, the Rona <laughs> this week and it just killed me and I'm still recovering. Oh boy. No sweat. No sweat. Um, but anyway, 
he's currently pursuing his master's. And uh, he is considering going to um, get his doctorate, pursue his doctorate, mm-hmm. his DMA. And it's just kind of, just the bug just kind of got into his head recently. And it's a completely new thing. Uh, and uh, he just started, just finished his first semester doing his master's. And he's in Louisiana. He's not in New Orleans precisely, but he's he's in the state. Yeah. Uh, uh, my geography is terrible too. I told you idiomatic expressions. Right over my shoulder, so maybe we'll just point it on the map somewhere and we'll figure out where it is. <laughs> there you go. I told you my my uh, when I came to started learning English with my learning my idiomatic expressions, mm-hmm. where are still really difficult for me to get right. And the sure. second thing that I'm terrible at is my geography because I didn't actually learn like geography and I should probably just spend some time and say, I'm going to get really good at learning where every freaking state of this <laughs> map is and at least what the capital is. And, um, cause I, I'm, I'm a terrible, I'm travesty, mm-hmm. <laughs> but anyway, my, my brother is thinking about getting his doctorate. So that's the context. So I told him like, I, I'm not going to give you advice because <laughs> I, I was not there, but I can, what I can tell you is, you know, you can ask a few questions, uh, kind of open in that questions to begin uh, answering the question of whether or not you want to do this or not. And I told him one of the questions is, um, you know, what would my future look like in five to 10 years? You know, you can't know precisely, but, you know, try to think about it with an open mind. Uh, if I went to, 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 to get my DMA, and what would it look like if I did it? And maybe write these things down and start thinking about what some of the consequences might be. And then the other question I might ask, and this is more, I think, biased on my end, because I, the academic world is just never someone that I felt inclined to pursue personally. Mm-hmm. And so I'll ask him, well, do you need to go uh, and get a, a doctorate to be able to do the things that you want to do with music and if the answer is yes then well then you probably need to do that <laughs> like <laughs> if you want to teach at a university and in, in an academic setting then you probably should do that um mm. but if you want to just be gigging maybe play musicals he's mentioned that before like well you know would this facilitate that or not and you know just basically start considering these questions and, and start sure trying to get answers, interview people that you know of. But I told them, you know, hey, I'm going to have some people on the podcast. You know, I'll, I'll ask them some questions for you. Um, so what are some of the different things to think about uh, when considering getting a master's, right? And what would you say? Would you say that there's a different set of things to consider when getting a doctorate, like tra- transitioning from undergrad to master's? What should I consider when making a transition? And is there a whole different set of considerations from going master's to doctorate, or is it basically the same? No, I think it's probably different. Okay. Um, I think the transition from undergrad to master's is probably a little easier. I mean, the master's degree is arguably the easier, one, easiest of the three. Hmm. You know, undergrad, you know, you have to study a bunch Two of other years. stuff you don't know. So, you know, like, I, uh, you know, so you take a math classes and, and history and so forth and things that, you know, I, I think are good. I mean, I'm glad it's the whole point of a broad-based liberal arts degree. Yeah. But um, 
you know, you may just not be very good at math, like guilty as charged. I was not good at math, uh, you know, so <laughs> got through, but just barely. Yeah. And the masters, you know, do a lot of Milton Babbitt stuff. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that was, it was never my forte. Um, <laughs> excuse me. But um, so when you get into the masters, you're really great. I'm going to focus on this thing that I want to study. Let's say it's performance trumpet. Oh man. I'm, you know, going to be in the studio and yes, you're taking, you know, you may not be crazy about taking a, you know, uh, ma- um, graduate level music theory or graduate level musicology class or both, you know, or whatever. But by and large, it's still basically speaking to what you're doing. You know, I think yeah. it's, it's speaking uh, to it more directly than some of those broad based um, courses you take as an undergrad. Um, once you're going to the doctorate, I mean, you've really kind of gone to the dark side. I mean, you're really, you know, you're kind of <laughs> in for a penny and for a pound. You're like, okay, I'm, I'm going for it. Yeah. Uh, so that's a different thing. I mean, you can, I think you can still be sort of playing around uh, and, you know, and also it's, there's a generally a somewhat different age, you know, right. Mm-hmm. So you're probably still in your early twenties and it's just mm-hmm. different, you know, uh, when you move it into the doctorate, you're, you know, 30 is closer is, you know, you can kind of see it in a way that you don't maybe getting out of undergrad at 21. But if you got a master's, even 23, you know, 24, maybe you it's, it's closer. Yeah. Um, so I think there's, there's a difference. I think with both of them, uh, but especially with the doctorate, but uh, with both of them, I mean, be really um, brutally honest with yourself about finances. Um, mm. Do you want to take on those loans for these degrees? I mean, there's a lot of gallows humor in like graduate offices, you know, with students going, yeah, I'm going to be working at, you know, whatever, some kind of fast food job or something next year. Ha 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 Two years down. You won't be laughing, yeah. <laughs> you know, wearing the paper hat and going, why did I do this? That's so right. you need to be really clear if you're going to take out loans and pursue this, that you are really at peace with that um, and whatever the implications are, because if you're paying off a student loan of three or $400 a month or whatever it is for you, that's all that money that could be going to anything else. Right. Yeah. And so if you really got something out of the degree, whatever it is, awesome. Yeah. You know, that's how do you measure your, your return on investment. Right. Exactly. And be, yeah, but again, the, yeah. The, and you gotta, you know, get out of the school of music building and away from all your friends and go sit quietly somewhere and go, the reality in two years is what I'm doing at this moment, which is to say, I'm not going to be in that building. <laughs> I'm not going to be around those people. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be me figuring out what's next. And so whoever I'm going to be in two, three, four, six, ten 10 years, is that person going to look back and go, that was a good choice uh, or not? And, and, you know, sometimes even a choice that has negative impacts can ultimately be a good choice. Maybe it teaches you more about life. It teaches you more about making smart decisions. You know, the yeah. idea that we learn more from mistakes than we do from, you know, you know, correct choices, so to speak. Um, yeah. And then definitely with a doctorate, because, you know, the, the younger you are, the more life feels like there's just, it's all stretched out and you got all this time in the world. But the reality is you're going to be investing probably four years or more yeah. of your life of your probably twenties, you know? yeah, which is, is a incredibly valuable time. Of, of course. Life, yeah. Right? I mean, that's, and like, truly just let's say somebody's going to do the doctorate and they go, I think I'm not going to do it. I'm going to, you know, get a job and see. And of course this is one of a, a million scenarios, mm-hmm. but you know, that's also four years of earning power where you're young, you're healthy, you're less likely to get sick. You're more likely to be able to work harder and longer hours to maybe get to whatever, build all that up. And, um, you know, that may come off as sort of cynical or bougie or whatever, 
but you know, uh, you won't probably be thinking that. I mean, you just will care a lot less about, uh, well, I'm not sure how to go with this. <laughs> it, those <laughs> things are important. And when you're in the school of music, it's, and they rightfully so, you should be focused on the art and the collaboration yeah. and the, the, the beauty of it. I mean, of course, I mean, if you're not doing that, then definitely get out, <laughs> go do something yeah. else, you know, and play guitar on the weekends. And that's totally awesome, you know. Um, but you should be in that school of music, you know, realizing what an incredible privilege it is to spend time focusing on art, you know. It's yes. you're one of a very small percentage of people on the planet who are going to get to do that. And that's yeah. really wonderful. Well, you know, like I, for a brief moment when I first came out of UT, and it was a brief moment, but it, but it was there. Mm. I, I felt almost resentful. And I think a part of it was my ignorance of life in general, but <laughs> of, of uh, you know, the, the university life in, uh, in specific, I think. Um, I felt a little resentful that it's like I just paid for this degree and I spent six years at UT doing my undergrad um, and a lot of, you know, obviously my my fault entirely for taking that long. But I was like, okay, what do I do now? Why do I have no direction? And and it was I, again. There was a brief moment where it I became resentful, and I'm like, "Why was I not giving any direction as to where I could go next?" The only semblance of that is people told me, "Well, you should go to grad school," <laughs> <laughs> and I felt like that was the only path that was kind of outlined as a possibility. But I that's not something that I wanted to do. At least not naturally they didn't feel drawn to drawn to it so and i wasn't mature enough to begin considering myself and take responsibility for myself i guess that frontal loaf wasn't fully developed yet i guess it's not till you're like 26 or something 25 <laughs> i was 24 i want to graduate it um is that right yeah something like that 24 25 and yeah i mean i it took me a little bit to get to get over it and some of it was just realizing like well you know i think you know whoever gave me the closest thing to what my life would look like outside of grad school um was yevgeny charlotte he told mm -hmm. me carlos you you're a composer you write music, you write beautiful music, that's what you're going to do, right? But that's not your job. Your job is going to be you get a nice briefcase and you wear a suit and basically you're you're a business person, you're a salesperson. And you need to, if, if you're not in the academic world, but I mean, really in general, you know, we all do sales, we all do marketing, whether sure. you realize it or not. Um we present our ideas and we try to make people buy into them. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, but yeah. And so really that was a starting point for me to build upon over the years. And it's like, okay, yeah. I mean, there are ways to carve uh, and, and, and they're cool. They're exciting. 
because guess what? You're a composer. You're probably, I'm guessing, you're a creative type kind of person. Mm -hmm. And entrepreneurial people, you know, people that make businesses, they're creative types just like you. And they're, they, they have problems in front of them or they have chaotic things in front of them. And their goal is to make sense out of them, create solutions out of problems, uh, give form and structure to chaotic things, or sometimes help uh, structure things in such a way that you can at least make sense out of what's in, in front of you. Even if it still looks like a mess, you can still think about it a certain way that it helps. You know, like, mm -hmm. go be that. And then figure out ways that those things, you can make things, uh, you can monetize things. And then don't focus on just making money for the sake of making money, right? But understand that the, the money is a tool that is instrumental mm -hmm. and that it helps you accomplish things. And what are the things that you want to accomplish? And focus on getting those things first, not the money first, you know, and if the money's going to help, then try to get the money to get the thing. But <laughs> yeah, so like, I feel like I, 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 so far, thus far, I've lived a terribly meaningful life and I'm an exciting life. Uh, and, and I'm very happy where I am. But my first couple of years really were the hardest when I came out of school because I was like, what the heck did I just do? Sure. And I love music. And for, I think it was for two years, I hardly did any music at all. Mm -hmm. And it was devastating to me. Like, I, it, was, it made me so sad and depressed. And I mean, I was just working at a hotel. I was working at two hotels, like mm -hmm. 70, 80 hours just trying to make money sure parking cars and uh it it was it was rough it was brutal um and katie was wedding tables you know she was in the same table like what the heck do we do you know like i have a performance degree in french horn like <laughs> why aren't people lighting up for me and she's really good you know like that kind of thing and so it's it was pretty brutal at first and uh Actually, I won a composition contest with uh, Austin Classical Guitar in 2016, two years after I graduated. Okay, sure. I wrote a guitar quartet, and it was performed by like this huge ensemble. Like, uh, it was like 100 people that played it at the same time, and it was really fun. And they, it was an opening piece for a visiting artist. Um, so that gave me a little bit of a uplift in moral morals and be like, okay. I can do this. I can buckle down and start writing again. And but but yeah, I had this like dark era, you know, that was just this brief two years upon graduating of like what is the point of all of this? Like this is terrible. You know, why did I do this? And well, the thing is, you know, like when I finished undergrad, I felt the exact same way. Exact yeah. same. Yeah. Uh, you know. I, you know, where is the, you know, music factory that I can bring my music <laughs> to and get my music job? Yeah. Uh, and it took me a, a, I don't know, some period to figure out that that wasn't really the point of getting that degree. Um, mm -hmm. It's really not the point of most university degrees. Certainly there are degrees that are, mm -hmm. um, you know, part of like jobs that involve title acts like, um, you know, accounting mm -hmm. or, you know, law degrees, you know, where there is, you know, but I mean, anybody can say I'm a composer, right? That's you know, right. Your, you know. I say I'm a philosopher all the time, and it drives Katie right. mad. It drives Katie mad. I was like, "Yeah, but you're not a philosopher because she hates philosophers." <laughs> That's but not yeah, what you do. It took me a while to figure it out. It's also a matter of identity. 
Uh, and this is yes. why when a lot of times people get out and they aren't surrounded by their, you know, this whole cohort of other musicians and so forth, and they're out there, quote, in the real world, um, you know, they find out whether they actually are, in terms of identity, musicians or not. Mm -hmm. you know? And some people have a hard time with that, and they have a hard time figuring out how to switch to something else. Um, I have a friend who's um, uh, an amazing uh, performer. And you know has multiple degrees from very you know very prestigious uh, um, academies, yeah. and was a working professional for let's say a couple of decades. Yeah. And then uh, she has you know over the last four or five years transitioned out vocationally to nursing and has worked in several uh, yeah. roles in that world, um, and has liked it. But I mean I I don't speak for her, but. Um, I think I think I'm comfortable, you know, reasonably representing her position by saying that one of the biggest things was the identity crisis, the huge change in like I have yeah. been a performing professional instrumentalist, playing with big groups, doing this stuff yeah. all my life. It's what I've been doing, you know, yeah. almost all my adult life. Yeah. And to go, but is that really me? I mean, is it, you know, like if you're yeah. a heart surgeon, I mean, do you live and die by saying I am a heart surgeon and that is what defines me? No, probably yeah. not, you know. You yeah. probably, you know, maybe you have hobbies or you do charity work or maybe you made yeah. some children and those are important to you. Or, you, know, but, you, know. you know, that's that's why I started the conversation. And this is partly why I want to structure this podcast that way with the question of who is the person that I'm talking to right now, rather than what is it that you do? Because that's different. And totally. you want to be able to to distinguish between them, distinguish between them, and and it's not easy. It's definitely well, something. I think it's particularly hard for people who go into the arts and and like go into college yeah. to study things because they very often have pushback from family. They yeah. often have ridicule from family and friends, and so there's a lot of defensiveness and a lot of I'm going to do this and I'm going to prove myself and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's great, but that's not. I mean, that fire is going to burn out. I mean, if you're doing this job to prove to your parents that you can do it, that's the, the that's a terrible motivation. <laughs> yeah. um, there's an author named David Foster Wallace, and he did. Um, oh, yeah, good old you know, DFW. Yeah, he did that commencement speech years ago. And among the things he said, I'm going to paraphrase this, but mm -hmm. it's something that when I read, I was like, oh, boy, I wish I would have heard that a long time ago. Mm -hmm. And it's that uh, you'll care a lot less about what people think of you when you realize how rarely it is that they do. Mm -hmm. so, you say know, that again. You'll care a lot less about what people think of you when you realize how rarely it is that they do. Yeah. Nobody's sitting around going, you know, yeah, hey Carlos, he used to be a composition major. I wonder if he made it or if he's he just, you know, is he just parking cars? Like nobody cares. They're off doing their own lives. You know, yeah. it's not that they're jerks or cynical or indifferent. We just all have other stuff to do. That is a great commencement speech. The this is water speech, right? That's the water speech. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Um, but that line in particular just really struck me, you know, and I don't think I was spending a lot of like active time thinking about, I don't know, like people from high school or something, you know, mm -hmm. whoever like, oh, you're going to do music. Well, good luck with that. That's right. You know? But the reality is, even if I, you know, that was some, or some sort of a defining thing or a motivational thing for me, mm -hmm. it's ridiculous. I mean, even like family members or so forth, you know, and I had, you know, I didn't have any big issues or anything, but, um, uh, you know, I mean, you know, the, like a parent, you know, who says, you know, Jill, you really shouldn't, you know, play kazoo and study that in college. There's no future in it. And yeah. Jill's, well, I want to study kazoo. Yeah. And, you know, so in Jill's head, there's this conflict that's going on all the time. And maybe in the parent's head, there's conflict going on all the mm -hmm. time. But 
most of the time, no, they're like working jobs and what am I going to make for dinner? And, mm-hmm. you know, Oh, I think I'm coming down with something and I got a test in two days and I'm never going to, you know, we have life that we're dealing with Yeah, yeah. sitting around worrying about whether Andy Sigler, you know, continued in his music career. That's so right. if Andy Sigler doesn't care about that. That's a problem. <laughs> yes. You know, yes. Uh, Matt Damon was, I saw an interview recently where he was talking about having won the Oscar at like whatever, 24 or 25 or whatever crazy age he was when he and Affleck won for uh, Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. And he was sitting down that night afterwards, like in his home, with the Oscar thinking how lucky he was to have won it young mm-hmm. because, and I'm going to, I'm, he didn't quite say it this way, but I think the effect the was spirit he, of it. Yeah. Huh? The spirit of the, of the quote. <laughs> well, yeah, the spirit of it. Yeah. Is yeah. how little it meant. Yeah. Like, you know, we, I, we idle, we, um, yeah, that makes sense. We're getting so excited about these, you know, I'm going to, uh, earn this degree or I'm going to get this job. I'm going to climb this mountain. Then you get to the top of the mountain. It's like, Oh, okay. Whatever. <laughs> you know, that's, right. that's great. That's okay. If, you know, if you do get something out of that climb, that motivation, but mm-hmm. I mean, his point I think was, God, what if I'd spent 70 years trying to get this thing and then I get mm-hmm. it. And it doesn't really matter that much to me. What if I'd wasted my whole life thinking that getting an Oscar was the important yeah. thing. Yeah. Getting the Oscar isn't the important thing. Yeah. Doing the work is the important thing. I, I've heard a, I, I have a YouTube channel and, I just started it recently. Well, I started a while back, but I just really got into it recently. Okay. Uh, and I teach uh, composition, video game music related stuff because I've been trying to break into that industry uh, for probably the past year, year and a half, something like that. And I've done a couple of projects and it's been fun. Great. But a similar thing happens with YouTubers, I've noticed when it's like uh, the break into a million subscribers but that's like the equivalent of getting an oscar and i've heard a few people that you know have gotten to the million and it's just like you know guys i'm incredibly grateful but i'm still just me like and it was crazy because you know they look up to that moment when that happens you know when they hit that you know benchmark or that whatever uh, milestone well, and it's you know it's, yeah are you if you're doing the work and to get to the milestone you probably are not going to be satisfied when you get to the milestone. Yeah. If you do the work because you really want to do the work and then you're celebrated or whatever compensated or, or, or yeah. recognized for it through subscribers or an award or money or whatever, that's great. But, yeah. but if, if, if you're caring about the milestone, I can say as someone who has certainly chased some milestones and gotten there and gone, okay. <laughs> um, that's not the best way to, to sustain. And especially in an art career. You know, I mean, if you're a, you know, heart surgeon, well, I mean, you know, you're going to cry yourself to sleep at night making, you know, six yeah. figures, <laughs> you know, yeah, somehow I, you'll power through. <laughs> you know, and and I, I, I feel almost bad, you know, painting that picture that I was painting earlier about my, you know, immediate moments after graduating. I was also kidding. I got married immediately after graduating and we're figuring that out and working and all of that. So there is a lot of stuff happening. Yeah. And I I feel kind of bad painting that kind of like very negative picture of it. That's not how I see it now, obviously. And I actually look back at those years of schooling and the emphasis was thoroughly on making beauty and the art and, Mm -hmm. and understanding the, you know, the technical aspects of what's happening here and there. And, and, you know, I can, nitpick and be like well i wish i would have been more of this or more of that and 
what's pro what's probably hilarious is that some of it was probably there and available for me. I just didn't realize. And you know, like I look back now and I'm like, man, I wish I was taking more classes with Russell Russell Pinkston. Um and and I, and I wish that I uh spend more time with uh, Dan Wilshire than with or I wish I took lessons with them in this order instead of this order, you yeah. know, like I could took Yevgeny, uh Donald Grantham and then Dan Welsher in that order. I, technically, Ian Dickey was before that because he taught my music composition class. I'm talking to Ian Dickey next week, by the way. I'm really excited about oh, that. Yeah, uh, the last yeah. Uh, I saw Ian, the last time I saw him was just before the pandemic. He mm. uh, has a had this outpost concert series, and uh, he had a group, uh, the Panic Duo, that was playing a piece of mine. So I flew out, nice. and it was like March 9th. It was a Monday when they mm. played. And the next day, the campus closed down and everything shut down. So, anyway, <laughs> please say hello. I will. I definitely will. I was talking to Katie and just like uh, uh, I was telling her about Ian Dickey. And it's like, oh, yeah, tell him that all I remember about him is his credit cards, credit cards, credit, credit cards, credit cards <laughs> song. You know what I'm talking about? Sure. Yeah. Uh -huh. So, anyway, I'll have to tell him that next week. Um, I, I think I want to talk about more about just music composition in general. And well, I was telling you that, you know, like there's a lot of things that I look back and, you know, there's not a whole lot of point in dwelling in them. You know, it's like, I wish I could have done this this way or that way, you know, the could have, should have, would have uh, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, like I think, I think uh, taking Evgeny first was good. Although we probably spent too much time talking. Um, because, you know, Evgeny is very, he's just a wealth of knowledge and all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, he would talk to me about all kinds of stuff. We're talking about, you know, Dionysic uh, and Apollonic, uh, mm -hmm. you know, spirits and, and Nietzschean philosophy and all these things. And, and then at the end of the lesson, I'm like, so how does this relate to what we were doing? Like, I don't know what just happened. It was cool. But sure. uh, yeah, we, you know, we will go through this conversation. And then, uh, so I wish that I took Dan Wilshire first, probably, because Dan Wilshire, he will make me work. <laughs> mm. And and I liked working on, under him. Like, I, I, I think I produced the most music when I was working with him. Mm. I wrote a, a little guitar like concertino thing and he would be like you know you need you need more percussion in there or you know or like can you can you hear it like i can almost hear it and you know next week i come in and there's like this entire percussion section now to the and it just feels so much better hmm. and i wish that i took with down uh grantham at the end um because he is very you know grandfatherly and so whatever I brought him, he was like, well, yeah, that's nice. And it was harder to get like those like nuggets of wisdom out of him. Mm. Um, but whenever they came, it was just this very subtle, like, you know, like, have you thought about this? And it would change everything, you know, this very subtle little thing like that. So, but yeah, I like thinking a lot about my time at UT and it really, it really was, especially at the Butler School of Music, uh, it really was a time of I'm amongst artists and we're doing art and sure. it's beautiful and it's fun. And so, you know, it's not fair 
to graduate and then see myself where I'm at, you know, under my circumstances, I got to do life now and face the dark world before me. Uh, uh, and I am feeling like, well, the school didn't give me the tools to survive this world or whatever, right? You know, mm -hmm. be resentful that way. But uh, it gave me um, what I sort of signed up for. Maybe I didn't understand exactly that's what I signed up for. And that was part of the problem. Because mm. the way they sell school to you as a kid is as long as you get a college degree, you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, like that's it. And you'll do a career in whatever you get your college degree in. Mm -hmm. um, that gets back to identity, I think, as well. You mm -hmm. know, the idea, because yeah. there's also a feeling that, uh, you know, if you've invested time in a given discipline, like for a college degree, then, you know, you have to keep going with it. Or if you're doing something outside of it, that's <laughs> like an indication of failure. And, um, uh, you know, at least with my students, I mean, I try to it, it keep them as, you know, uh, clear eyed about, you know, what they're doing and what careers are and what things are like and, uh, you know, what will likely be like when they get out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things we talk a lot about is like, this is the only time in your life, unless you continue in academia, this is probably the only time in your life when, you know, you're going to be surrounded by active mm -hmm. Musicians all the time. So if I have a student who has a string quartet they want to have performed, and they say, "Well, can you help me get a cellist?" I'm like if you can't find a yes. cellist in the building, you're you know this is not the game. <laughs> and they want to know where to find them. Well, go figure it out. You know, yeah. just um, get the again, latest students. But I am pretty frank in those kind of things because that's a real safe space for them to you know figure those things out. Yeah, uh, I remember when I did my doctoral recital. <laughs> Uh, uh, Joey Love and I split a doctoral recital in February of 13. Wow. Mm -hmm. 10 years ago, almost. And I had a piano trio that needed to be played. <laughs> and I waited a little too long to find a cellist. Speaking of cellists. And I lived in Austin at this point for 12, 13 years. I was yeah. very connected in the music community, knew lots of people. Yeah. But everybody was booked. And I went through like 26 cellists before I found somebody who could play. Wow. I was about to redo it for the bassoon, which I didn't know what I was going to do with the double stops, but I figured I'd figure it out. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, so now when we have Most our... Multiphonics. Something, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> the stars align. Um, but, uh, you know, when I, um, when I have my students getting prepped for their studio recitals, yeah. you know, like the beginning of the semester, I'm always like, hi, I know the recital is two and a half months away, everything's already on fire. Go get your players immediately. Don't wait. Because here's the thing. In most students' minds, the future is way out there. And this speaks to graduation and jobs. Yes. And it speaks to the shorter term thing, what I'm just talking about. And all of them, in their minds, I'm saying, you need to go get players like this week or the next week yeah. or so. You know, if we're in whatever, you know, you could, don't wait until March or April. Don't wait until, you know, a month or two or three weeks before the concert. All those people are busy. They're all going to be booked, you know? Yeah. And then your idea, it's like when students, sometimes students will ask me for a letter of recommendation mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, they'll say like, hey, can you give me a letter of recommendation to do Friday? It's like Wednesday. <laughs> <You're> like, <laughs> yes. I mean, I have the capacity to put that together in the next 48 hours, but that's super inconvenient for me. You know, yes. do you think I'm just sitting around? So you yeah. need to get plenty of time. They probably think you have a template ready to go. <laughs> so I don't know. Sure. You want me to just write, you know, Joe is great. <laughs> be like Joe. All the notes. Joe is good at them. Yeah. Um, but students don't know that. 
you know, for them, it's like, yeah, this is due on Friday, and I'm telling you today. I just you, want your signature at the bottom. It doesn't matter. <laughs> um, they think the same thing about putting together, let's say, an ensemble. They don't think, well, number one, that let's say you have a string quartet. Well, maybe the cellist for this established group uh, is there's a some other gig, so they can't do it. So then you have to yeah. refine somebody else. They have to figure out rehearsals, or they have to yeah. figure out rehearsals, and yada yada yada. Yeah. Uh, and none of that stuff is comes well. Rarely does that stuff come automatically. It yeah. comes from that initial prompting. Yes. Um, and they try to do the same thing just in general when they're looking at what they're going to be doing when they get out. You know. Yeah. From, I, you it's know. the problem because the future we perceive it as potential, and I mean technically it is right. It's potential. We don't know yeah. what's going to happen, right? I, and we I, tend to think that it's going to go good. It's going to be tend, yeah. better than the present. And we think of the present as actual because it technically this is the actual present. This is what actually is happening. We're actually recording a podcast right now uh, versus <laughs> potentially, which was like, you know, at 11 or something like that. I hadn't talked to you because I've been, uh, you know, sick with mm -hmm. COVID and kind of. I wasn't really delirious or anything like that. It wasn't really that terrible. I didn't have that bad of an experience. This is the first time that I get it, by the way. But yeah, it was potential until you actually appeared magically through the <laughs> interblag. <laughs> here and, and here you are. I think it's you. It's not some kind of weird AI thing that I'm talking to. No, I would do, if I was doing AI, I'd make it look better than this. But <laughs> <laughs> um Oh, that's gonna be weird thinking about a future where we can send avatars of ourselves using AI. Oh, buddy, you know. we're there. what are you talking about? You know, yeah. Instagram, TikTok, it's all nonsense. You know, yeah, yes. <laughs> no, who knows? Um, oh man, I did the thing. I went on a tangent and I can't come back. Where was I? We were talking about composition. Yeah. Kind of our, you know, basic concept. Yeah. How you'd studied with you know the various profs at UT at the time. I it's did, so and it was interesting fun because you know I only Evgeny and uh, Grantham are still there. Um, of those that I mentioned, those that you mentioned, of course yeah. Grantham's still there. Uh, of course, <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, there's a been a you know some new interims, and uh, uh, Omar Thomas now is there as a you know a full a full time position. Mm. Uh, and uh you know just a whole new a whole different world yeah uh, interesting yeah. so okay maybe i'll remember where i was going with my wild tangent there <laughs> uh maybe i won't and it's okay um question mm -hmm. so what was the maybe one life event or maybe series of events that led to your decision of becoming a composer uh initially um i didn't really write anything like i think one time in high school i kind of wrote a chord progression <laughs> you mm -hmm. know like a rock guitar player yeah so i was of the mind that a lot of you know potential composers are which is i don't know theory so i don't really know how to write uh, and so i better not try to write something because i'll break it or something yeah that's Stupid funny like that. uh, it's everybody you know every um almost every person who auditions comes in and goes like, well, I don't know my theory yet. So I'm kind of worried about whether I did this right. Um, it's cart before the horse, but. Uh, exactly. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. It's like, you know, they get, make the theory out of, out of stuff them, yeah. that's already composing. <laughs> right. But that's yeah, the thing though, you know, you hear when you're a kid and you hear music, it just feels like it's its own complete, like it's just this natural magic thing that came out and it only came out of the wizard brain or whatever, you know, I, I used uh, to tell people, 
you know, I still do every now and then. I got my degree in music composition in theory in that order. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. Um, but I, uh, in college, I didn't start as a comp major. I started as like studio, I think it was called studio music or or commercial music or something like that, mm -hmm. where you learn how to record and, and maybe be a studio musician. Yeah. And I wandered into a composition class and was hooked just, just like that. Wow. Quincy Hilliard at uh, the University of Louisiana in Lafayette, mm -hmm. uh, which at the time was the University of Southwestern Louisiana, but that was long ago. Yeah, uh, yeah and I just really got into writing. Uh, there was a <laughs> there was a flute player who I liked, and so I wrote a guitar flute duo. <laughs> um, and uh, so yeah, kind of the rest is history. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So you just wrote music. <laughs> that was I it. Started writing, you know, was, and, and you know, and again, I had. I mean, I was always a pre pretty shy person, but I was excited enough about putting this stuff together, mm -hmm. uh, and you know, going out and finding players. Yeah, I put on like, two non-degree recitals uh, in college. Wow. Just we had not, not just all of my music. This was, I mean, some of my compositions and some things that we played. Uh, do you happen to know the Steve Vai tune, "Little Green Men" from the Flexible? Wow. Flexible is an album Steve I Vai used to be a big Steve Vai fan. Yeah, it's right I don't know. The Zappa band. So it's very Zappa-esque. And there's a tune called Little oh. Green Men on there. And we did live versions of Little Green Men with my comp professor. There's this narrative part where he comes out and does like this, ladies and gentlemen of the world, announcer kind of thing. And we got my prof to come and do it, <laughs> which was great. Um, That's awesome. So, so, yeah, I mean, putting on shows, you know, learning how all that works. Yeah. Uh, rehearsals together you know banging your head against a wall when you're trying to put a rehearsal together with a dozen people and like 10 show up you know yeah. you know we're we gonna have a full rehearsal for this very complicated tune you know at least for for us yeah. uh and it's not we didn't have a faculty advisor or a conductor we were just like a bunch of dummies trying to put this together um but yeah you know i mean and again like the idea of composition not just as making you know putting sounds in order but just the idea of ordering things, of like kind of directing mm -hmm. things or, or suggesting directions for things mm -hmm. uh, in terms of just putting together a, a recital or a concert. Um, mm -hmm. at, here at UT uh, Knoxville, we do a temporary music festival every spring and mm -hmm. we do studio recitals every semester. And yeah. all those, at least in terms of logistics, are, are almost exclusively student run. You know, I'm supervising it, but they're they're working the stage. They're running. Yeah. Well, then I run the lights, but they are often running sound from the stage. Cause if we do electroacoustic stuff, I find it's better to have the speakers in the hall, which is a beautiful, wonderful hall, but the speakers are up well above the stage. And so there's a, enough separation that if you're doing electroacoustic stuff, it feels a little disembodied. So we'll usually do an entire setup from the stage and yeah. students learn how to run that. They learn what to do when it hits the fan, <laughs> you know, you know right. this That's thing right. doesn't work and how you troubleshoot. And I feel pretty confident that, that, uh, you know, not every student, cause not every student say does every single part of those, uh, you know, uh, running those shows, mm -hmm. you know, the vast majority of the students who have taken the initiative to say, well, I ran sound last time. So I'm going to be, I'm going to, you know, run the stage this time, or I did those two things already. So I'm going to work on, you know, coordinating, getting artists from one place to another, mm -hmm. which is not what you think about when I'm going to be a composer. What are you going to learn? I'm going to learn how to coordinate artists schedules. <laughs> how I'm going to pick up somebody at the airport. Yeah. Yeah. I well, mean, yeah, you know, th that's, that's part of the gig. I have a, a lot of definitions that I use for, you know, what composition is, 
But uh, one one of the ones that I like the most, because I'm a big picture kind of guy, so I like big picture definitions, which tend to be too broad and sometimes not even say anything. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I like to say that it's it's all about reigning in chaos. Um, and it doesn't work, it work perfectly for everybody because people have different approaches to composition. But mm-hmm. the way that I compose, I'm a very creative, explosive kind of composer. Okay. Like, I just improvise or ideas just start coming out and I have to just throw them and put them out there somehow. Okay. And then I go back and organize them and make sense out of them and present them, make them presentable, you know? So the production processes can be very chaotic for me. And I've developed all kinds of little strategies and depending on what I'm doing, if I'm doing something that's more commercial sounding, it's easier because the structures are already there. So you just start feeding them. Um, you know, certain chord progressions that work or certain structure forms that work kind of thing. Um, but it's harder whenever you're doing more like concert music. Like right now, I just started writing a piece for my brother um, nice. for a string quartet and trumpet. Okay. And which I didn't think about uh, resonance and frequencies and keys signatures until I started writing it. And I'm like, oh, Maybe you're going to use a C trumpet like the, the whole time. <laughs> um, anyway, I... Well, you, um, can, you can consider a C trumpet. A C trumpet, yeah. That that might get you moving. It's a slightly different timbre, but it also is a little more friendly for keys that will be friendly for strings. That's the, I didn't start thinking. I started writing the piece and in, in the, the first movement in E flat. And I'm like, this is going to be great for trumpet. And then I'm like... But is it going to be good for Well, string but, you know, person? strings do. I mean, you know, the equivalent of C minor is a pretty, is a not uncommon key for strings. So they'll, That's they'll, right. strings will deal with it. they'll, they'll be, fine. be fine. They're all professionals. They're all professionals. Yeah. One of their big kid bands. <laughs> Hopefully he'll get good musicians. And I'm sure he will. Uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, so I'm, I'm writing that and it's a completely different approach. Completely, com- although he wants me to bring in some of the video game music elements and inspiration and that kind of thing. Okay. Okay. So I am. I am kind of basing it loosely around that. But yeah, I mean, whenever it comes to to composition, that's one of my definitions. It's reigning in the chaos because that's how I approach it. I kind of create chaos and then form it into something. Um, but I know there's the John Corleanos out there that, you know, he starts with like a whole schematic of what he's going to have in the end before he even, he, he writes like an architectural sure. blueprint Mm-hmm. Before he actually starts putting a note down on paper. Yeah, but you know why he does that? Why? No. So Craig Liano in I'm gonna like early 80s, maybe late 70s, but I think it was early 80s, wrote a clarinet concerto mm. premiered by the LA Philharmonic. Mm. And the, uh, there was a director in the audience, and mm. I forget the guy's name, but he was the director of an upcoming movie called Altered States. And Altered States was basically a thriller, slight horror movie about not just hallucinogenics, but just uh, um, uh, uh, rethinking the human mind, let's say. Yeah. Uh, John Hurt was the, the main, main actor. It was a pretty big film at the time. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. So anyway, the director sees this, you know, kind of gnarly clarinet concerto with a bunch of weird sounds. Um, <laughs> and he goes, and he doesn't know anything about concert music or whatever, but he, mm-hmm. he gets finds Grigliano after the show and says, hey, man, I love what you did. I want you to do music for this. You budget's huge. You can do whatever you want and go as crazy as you can. I'm paraphrasing, right? Sure. 
So Corigliano like doesn't know anything about film music or how to do like just how do I make it sync up with this or what if I want to go uh -huh. but the thing is a little shorter and I don't have so he started devising and not inventing but coming up with his own sort of like box notation right mm. so you know you have five notes you play these uh, you know randomly until mm. the conductor cuts you off and basically yeah. started to shape how the film music yeah. the music for that film was made. It's usually what I think of when I think of aleatoric music. I think of the little box with the but notes. He, but and... the thing is, prior to this, I mean, he'd been writing for a long time. He didn't work that way at all. But that eventually, ironically, morphed into, eventually into this graphic pre-compositional thing that he does. Mm. I think it's just like incredibly interesting. It's mildly ironic that, yeah. you know, Corigliano, whose background, his father was concert master for the New York Phil. Mm. He worked with Bernstein on the Young Composers concerts. Uh, you know, he had this very, That's cool. he actually did some like uh, kind of the concert promotion stuff with Andre Watts. So he's very much in that world, you know, and he has a, a, a huge premiere of this, you know, let's just say fairly esoteric piece, you know, yeah. and then a, a um, director whose perspective is totally different. Background is completely different. Comes in and goes, hey, man, <laughs> what you're laying down, you know, uh, can you make some weird stuff like that for me? And <laughs> Because Corigliano has to reframe how he deals with it because of the mm -hmm. constraints and, and so forth of film music. Yeah. Changes how he writes concert music for the rest yes. of his life. Wow. You know, everything. I mean, basically everything you've heard. And I think maybe the red violin, which is a fair, maybe wasn't worked that way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I mean, yeah. I, it's my understanding that all his concert music sense has been done with this, uh, uh, you know, sort of architectural graphical um, methodology yeah. described. Um, and that's part of, you know, getting out of your head. That's part of taking advantage. I mean, I am sure, I mean, I'm sure Corigliano made a ton of money doing it too. I'm sure the guy said, <laughs> like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. <laughs> so there's yeah. definitely an incentive, but it's yeah. also him getting out of a comfort zone. It's him maybe, and I don't know this, but maybe wondering, is this going to mess up my classical cred, right? If I do a film, yes. maybe, maybe I'm not going to, you know, when I go back to New York or whatever, maybe I won't be, and I'm putting words in his mouth. I have no idea if he actually mm -hmm. thought anything that but he might have yeah um but getting out of your comfort zone taking on you know projects that are weird um uh taking those risks i mean that is part of why he has had the career he's had you know yes interesting yes <laughs> that is very cool i did not know that how that came about yeah so carlos i'm gonna have to run and get a munchkin here in a few minutes but yeah. i have time for you know maybe a little bit more if you've got it yeah no, let's let's start wrapping up. Uh, again, thank you so much for making the time. I'm super excited. Thanks again, for it's been fun. The, the the best moment is when you first magically appear. That was the best part. <laughs> it was all downhill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, this yeah. has been great. Um, I think I think I'm fun functioning okay. I thought it was gonna be worse, and I was in, like I was even thinking about calling it quits, but I didn't want to do that because I know how hard it is to make things work like this. <laughs> so I, I'm I'm thankful for you being here and for being gracious gracious with me. I well, uh, thanks for having me again. I appreciate it. Yeah, this is this is super useful. Um, I think for for anyone who listens, but but um, for me, just to to really think about a, a lot of these things. And, uh, you know, you're one of those people that looking back, I'm, I'm like, I wish that I became closer friends with some of these people and that I really got to know more people. You know, I think um, of all the things, you know, I was talking about changing things going past. I think of all the things that I 
that I think I would have done differently and that I aim to do differently moving forward is wherever the setting I am really trying to build those connections and Absolutely. friendships mm -hmm. and, 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 uh, bonding with people and really getting to know them, not to sell yourself. Like, yes, you happen to be, you know, in the same industry and there is a market valuable to you and to them. Mm -hmm. And you can think of your, your, uh, relationship in terms of networking and sales, mm -hmm. or you can just be friends. <laughs> Sure. And then, then we'll see what other stuff comes up about that. Yeah. But, so yeah. I wish I'd make yeah. making friends and making connections, you know, whether it becomes a, uh, you know, a career involved connection or not. Yeah. Um, it's just, you know, like the big part of the human condition, right? <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. And especially as composers, it's very tempting to go, you know, I think I'm just going to go back to my room and quietly write music and not have to interact with other people. Yeah. And that's okay. But if, yeah, yes. I think if you can take advantage of, of the opportunity to connect with other people, you almost always will benefit from that. I, I really enjoy these kinds of conversations and I have since I was little and I can always perform pretty well in a one-to-one -one setting, but I don't do very well, not naturally, uh, with groups of people and school classes and all that. I've gotten really good at making like witty remarks and being snarky and all of that mm -hmm. and, you know, making like quick little jabs and jokes but you know like really participating and being part of the group and like being the cool kid in the room not my thing <laughs> um i can't do it very well but i i do wish that going back you know i i build more relationships and you're definitely one of those people like man i really wish because we have so much in common mm -hmm. um as far as you know we were composers obviously but you know we we're both guitar players Sure. And, you know, and I, you know, you did, did some work commercially with video game stuff that I'm I'm like, man, I wish I'd known so much more of sure. this person then. And, and like, I think for me, having developed a relationship with you then, and, you know, we can be friends now too, but like <laughs> would have had much more value to me as a person. And I will hope to you too, uh, maybe say a mentor and a teacher, uh, then doing my homework or then doing all my compositions and then doing all these things, like having a good relationship with someone who you can relate to and grow with and maybe, you know, talk with in the future and maybe give them a call when you're lost and you don't know what to do or whatever. Like that's so much more valuable. And I see that clearly now. And I'm like, man, like, Gosh, so that's part of the reason that I'm doing this. I'm trying to reconnect a little bit, and I, I see the importance of it now a lot. So it it really means a lot to me that you made the time to to show up, and and you said yes, let's do this. And absolutely, well, I'm glad is, to do it. It was fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a it's a wild time, uh, and it it helps having other people here that you can talk with. Absolutely, sure, and it is, I guess, one you know positive you know uh outcome of the last couple of years is that i mean it's not like this technology didn't exist two three years ago <laughs> but i don't think we necessarily would have thought of connecting in this way do you know what i mean yes um, so uh so yeah it's good so it's facetime yeah skype sure hey, skype <laughs> <laughs> yeah well i 
have a few more things. They're not super important. Um, so I think we should just go ahead and wrap up. But thank you so much again, Andrew, for for making the time. I hope Absolutely. you're. I hope uh, I'm glad you're. Th th you were able to wrap up the semester successfully. <laughs> you too. <laughs> I'm glad your your uh, your goal towards uh, getting tenure. It's going well, it seems, and things are moving along. Thank that's, you. That's definitely uh, from what I hear. <laughs> a very uh, perilous journey, and uh, uh, I'm, 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 I hope that you see great success in that, and and that you, your daughter, grows to be wonderful and wise and all of that. Thank you, Carlos. It's a big deal to go become tan man. I'm telling you. <laughs> now the bike. <laughs> well, it's been great to talk. Say hi to Katie for me. Will do. All right, Andrew. All right, I'll talk to you later. Later. Bye, friend. Bye.